2: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Israel Studies channel of the New Books Network. My name is Akana Jai, and today I'll be chatting with Matt Rengold about his new book, re Israel Through Political Cartoons, Visual Discourses During the 2018-2021 Electoral Crisis, published by Rowan and Littlefield and as part of its Lexington Studies in Jewish Literature series. Listeners may well recall that the 2018 to 2021 period was unusually turbulent in Israel's 75-year history, all of more so perhaps because of the tensions of the moment, which were mainly down to domestic issues. The four elections that were held during this period were inconclusive. Three of the four elections held during this period were inconclusive. The fourth led to the inauguration of what probably is the most diverse coalition in Israel's political history. Most Israel observers would agree that beneath the veneer of a majority Jewish state, Israel is a remarkably diverse country, with, of course, many of the challenges that accompany the notions of diversity, um, perhaps with a little bit more friction in part due to the social-political globe that unifies the majority population of Israel. Matt Ringgold has written a fascinating analytical account of this period, parsing it through the interesting vantage point of political cartooning in Israel. Deeply researched and supplemented by interviews with many of the country's leading political cartoonists, re-revisioning Israel is a sophisticated and revealing look at Israel today. Matt Ringold teaches Jewish history and Jewish thought at Tannenbaum Chat, a community Jewish high school in Toronto, from where he joins us today. Matt, welcome to the New Books Network.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be joining you today.
1: Brilliant. Thank you very much. Um, I'd like to start off with some thoughts about the frame of a book. Why political cartoons and why this specific period? So the Why Political
2: Cartoons, really, I I got to it by accident. I had been writing about Jewish graphic novels and Israeli graphic novels over the last number of years, and I started following some political cartoonists on social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, um, and I was particularly drawn to the political cartoonists that graphic novelist, Asaf Hanaka, who had been publishing The Realist at Calculist for a number of years. And through my interest in Hanukkah's work, that led me to start following other cartoonists. And my background really was not in political cartooning. That was something that was a bit new for me, um, in that I was much more familiar with long form narrative and not the short punchiness of the political cartoon. Um, But I felt that sort of my background and knowledge of Israeli culture and Israeli politics and visual narrative really allowed me to transfer over. Um, Why I chose this time period is from a purely from a publishing perspective, I needed a manageable starting and ending point. And the nature of political cartooning is such that many cartoonists publish six days a week, five days a week. Um, And if I wasn't going to be focusing on an individual artist, for example, um, if I were to look at the entire history of the country, it's just it's an exorbitant number of cartoons that even what I looked at um, in this short period, was well into the thousands of cartoons, um, given how many cartoonists I chose to look at, which was over 20, um, with, again, many of them publishing daily cartoons. Um, And so what I felt about this time period was that it it really was bookended very nicely between the fall of government in 2018, um, through to the formation of a a more stable government in 2021, and that they seem to bookend each other very nicely.
1: Right, thank you very much. Um, you've written another book focusing on cartoons. Um, this one being about representations of gender in Israeli graphic fiction. What is it about visual representation? What do what does visual representation offer the task of exploring? and um, com- comprehending complex issues such as gender or Israel for that matter?
2: I can, One of the things that I think is really interesting about is for me as the researcher about Israel is that there really is a culture of literacy that Israel is amongst one of the um, most published and per capita books within Many Western states, um, obviously, Israel, Israelis are not buying more per volume but than America or other Western countries. Um, but there's really this love of literature. And yet at the same time, unlike many other Western countries, Israel did not really develop a comics and cartooning community. And so we're still in the early years of this community. Um, And so I think that from a research perspective, I enjoyed getting in on the ground on that. Um, My own background as someone who teaches and writes about Israel education and Israeli society drew me to the Israeli scene. but what I think is also really interesting about Israel, and, and you alluded to this earlier, is that on the outside, it's like, oh, yeah, it's a Jewish state, and therefore everyone is the same. But for those who are familiar with the country, um, it's a highly engaged and involved citizenry with real diversity of political opinion, religious opinion, um, And this plays out in in the media and in the political cartoon landscape um, and in the graphic novel landscape. What Israel also has as part of its early years, and this is what I wrote about in my first book, these real hegemonic narratives of um, dominant Ashkenazi narratives, as opposed to Mizrahi or later communities, clear expectations of what are the gender norms, At a time when America and Western countries were moving towards different gender constructs, Israel was still very rooted to um, this particular notion of what masculinity meant, which was intimately tied to military culture, and what femininity meant. um, And seeing how graphic novelists, in particular, as a community that was in many ways already marginalized, that it didn't receive the same type of attention as prose works, how so many of their works challenged some of these hegemonic narratives of how the state was founded, what gender should look like, what minorities um, should be afforded within the state. And so we have a minority community advocating in different ways for other minority communities. And I think that um, that's part of what I see as what's so fascinating about the Israeli graphic novel and cartooning communities.
1: Hmm. That's a very involved answer. Thank you very much. And indeed, some of the points you touched on, specifically masculinity in the Israeli context, um, I hope we'll have a chance to return to later in our conversation. Um, The first chapter of your book discusses a well-known cartoon character called Shrulik. Um, in the language of Israeli political cartoonists, I think Srulik is something of a man. Could you give us a sense of where Srilik stands in the popular Israeli consciousness and why he lends, or why the character lends himself so readily to the political cartooning community?
2: Yeah, so for readers not familiar with Trulik, Trulik was created by um, an immigrant to Israel named Karel Gardosh in the 1950s. And Trulik was first appeared in maariv le Noir, um, a, a Sorry, not, ooh, this is one of those places where it'll get scrubbed out. Um, in a labor newspaper, primarily originally for adults. Um, has become the, American equivalents of Uncle Sam or Mother Russia. Um, Srulik is a metonym for Israeli society. He is a visual signifier that much of political cartooning um, is, relies on these visual signifiers, these shorthands that will cue knowledgeable or informed readers into um, broader statements being offered by the artist that Unlike a graphic novel or a comic book, the political cartoonist, with very few exceptions, is limited to a single panel. And in order to condense so much meaning and so much impact, they rely on signs and symbols. And Shrulik has very much become the symbol for Israeliness. And this is not a new thing. This is not a, a 2018 to 2021 thing. Um, already in 1958, Srulik was chosen to champion Israel at the decade celebration of Israel's independence in 1958. Um, Srulik is illustrated in a way that makes him appear. He is cute. He is childish. He wears distinctly Israeli clothes that um, art and fashion and clothing scholars write about Srulik and the choices that Dosh made about him. Srulik wears a style of hat called a kova tembel, a tembel hat, Um, that was worn by Israeli pioneers. He wore sandals that became very popular in Israel. His hairstyle known as the Blorit became very popular amongst Israeli men. But Srulik also participated in many of the country's formative projects. Srulik served in the IDF, the Israeli military. Srulik planted trees. Srulik visited holy sites. And what's happened in the last two decades is a continuation of using the image of Srulik, but he's now used as a way to critique the state. Um, that by depicting Srulik in um, raggedy clothing, by depicting Srulik as old or with broken glasses and torn clothing, what our our cartoonists are doing is suggesting that there is something almost broken or old or no longer working within Israeli society itself. And they're making that claim through these visual signifiers without having to use words. And that if you know who Srulik is and what Srulik is supposed to represent, seeing Srulik being battered by coronavirus particles or seeing Srulik being weighed down by ballot boxes um, is creating this visual image that Israelis absolutely would be able to understand because they're familiar with the image. And so the cartoonist is able to make this punchy, aggressive statement while doing it in a very limited amount of space.
1: Indeed. It's also interesting for me that... um... Images like Surulik, for example, create a very, very specific but perhaps um, insider language. And I think you talk about this a bit more in the chapter, in some of the visual references and puns that cartoonists use to get the point across which um, many Israelis would recognize immediately. But the non-Israeli observer may struggle to contextualize. Is this a necessary thing or is it um, perhaps an unconscious exclusionary device in political cartooning?
2: So I think that you're asking a really great question and um, I think that's part of what the nature of political cartooning is, that the political cartoon is not generally has a very short lifespan um, that what is relevant today in the news is not relevant in a week from now, um, which is part of how I went about choosing topics that um, when I constructed the book, um, I brought to bear my own research method background um, of interviewing and coding. And I I systematically coded all of the cartoons. And there were many that were in the news for a day and then never appeared again. when trying to do a retrospective like I did on a period of time, um, those cartoons that are in the news for a day don't belong in a book of that nature. Um, at the same time, I think that you're absolutely right in that political cartoons are insider culture. Um, there are some themes that absolutely were global. Um, I, I think that it, it would be impossible to find a country in the world that didn't have coronavirus particles in cartoons over the last few years. Um, And so that COVID molecule, um, even though it likely has no real um, visual um, accuracy to what a real coronavirus molecule is, um, we could go virtually anywhere in the world and show what the cartoon COVID molecule looks like and, and it's become universal language. At the same time, political cartoons are not really designed as global texts in the way that Spider-Man and Batman and Wonder Woman, or even if we're gonna go with more Israeli graphic novels like Rutu Mozaz's graphic novels, um, her first two Exit Wounds and The Property, both of which one, um, the highest international awards Um, they won the eisner award for best graphic novel um, that rutsuma and i think this is really important she chose to publish those works in english before releasing them in hebrew which suggests both her desire to reach international audience and the recognition that israel's community of readers is not yet at that same level that it's going to be published first in Hebrew. That's not the same thing with political cartoons. Um, I could not have completed my project if I was not fluent in Hebrew um, and able to read and parse the Hebrew of the political cartoons and figure out the puns in the language um, that they are absolutely insider texts. And that's done in the, who even the figures and the characters are, that the average non-Israeli maybe is going to be able to identify Benjamin Netanyahu. But I don't think even that is likely, I I don't think that the average non-Jewish American could identify Benjamin Netanyahu unless they're particularly interested in politics. Political cartoons are local, they are, unique to the culture. And I think that affords greater latitude though, that you're right, it is exclusive. It means that it's not getting the same type of attention, but it also means that you can write to a particular audience and speak to them in a way that you don't have to be concerned about universal and generalizable narratives. You can really speak to the Israeli reader who is increasingly now looking at their cartoons digitally. Um, most political cartoonists today are publishing their work on social media, even before it gets into the newspaper, um, because otherwise they're not getting that exposure.
1: Yes, that's a point you make. they're not putting
2: make. it on their social media handles.
1: Indeed, that's a point to be making the book uh, elsewhere. Um, we're talking with Matt Rengold about re-envisioning Israel through political cartoons. Um, now, moving from a very well-known but virtual character to well-known and very much present character, um, former Prime Minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, who is the subject of the second chapter of your book. Um, Netanyahu has been the dominant figure of Israeli politics over the last two decades, Um, And it's something of a research test, I think, when it comes to determining political orientations amongst the Israeli population. Um, Either they love him or they loathe him. Cartoonists, of course, like everyone else, do have opinions. But um, like the rest of the journalistic fraternity, I suppose that they must subscribe to at least the appearance of fairness in their coverage. How has Netanyahu feared at the hands of political cartoonists Um, in your opinion?
2: Uh, The word that immediately popped to mind is reviled. Um, I think that the overwhelming majority of Israel's political cartoonists are left-wing. Excluding, and I I hope that we'll have a chance to talk about the ultra-Orthodox cartoonists a little bit later, but the overwhelming majority of Israel's political cartoonists are left-wing. And I don't think that that's an accident. I think that political cartooning operates at its best when it is critical and when it is caustic and sharp and barbed and I think that we need to remember that it has been a very long time since the left wing cartoonists have been in a position of political power and therefore they've built up a tremendous amount of ammunition against Netanyahu so much so that um much like Srulik, there are visual signifiers, codes, that, that cross over from newspaper to newspaper and cartoonist to cartoonist when depicting Netanyahu. And two that immediately jump into mind is illustrating Netanyahu's body in a way that is disproportionately grotesque and much larger than the people around him, almost monster-like. Um, and the other, which is, I think, more subtle, but in many ways m- more e- pointed, no pun intended, is to illustrate Netanyahu with a elongated nose. And I am. I want to be very clear. My analysis of the large nose on Netanyahu is not playing into any anti-Semitic tropes or canards. Um, I, I think that we are dealing here with Jewish cartoonists in a Jewish state, and they are not accusing Netanyahu of being an anti-Semite, nor are they practicing some form of um, appropriation of anti-Semitic tropes. Um, many of them have lots of things to say about Netanyahu, including, feeling that he is destroying democracy, but accusing Netanyahu of being an anti-Semite is not one of the things that, is, that comes up. Instead, what I think is being offered in the nose of Netanyahu is actually a reference to the children's cartoon character, Pinocchio, um, of claims of Netanyahu, and this is certainly something that Netanyahu has been regularly accused of by members of his own right-wing political community of being dishonest and as a scholar it's i am not evaluating the the merits of the claim of whether netanyahu is honest or dishonest that's not my place as the literary scholar Um, nor am i able to assess whether um the cartoonists themselves believe that but what's very evident throughout ranging from every left and center newspaper are depictions of Netanyahu with long noses and it's a clear reference to lying because it often accompanies cartoons of Netanyahu um, using hyperbole and exaggeration um, that at the same time though readers of the book will see I actually don't spend so much time Writing about these left-wing cartoons, I talk about these like more common visual tropes, but I don't do so much analysis of the anti-Netanyahu cartoons because there are so many. It it almost became, I feel like, at the end, it was so easy for them to come back to. Um, and instead, I chose to focus on something that I found more interesting, which was how did right-wing cartoonists choose to depict Netanyahu? And the newspaper where that can be found would be Israel Hayom, um, which is a newspaper that, in addition to being a newspaper, is a newspaper that does find itself in the news. Um, That's a very given good that word it was it. founded by... Um, it, It has a clear, openly transparent pro-Netanyahu stance. It was founded in order to counter what was seen as um, left-wing or biased coverage of Netanyahu. And I was curious to see how did Israel's cartoonists who worked at Israel Hayom, how did they go about cartooning Netanyahu? Um, Or did they not cartoon Netanyahu Um, and I saw what I found to be very interesting was that there was certainly far fewer Netanyahu cartoons, not just critical of Netanyahu, cartoons of Netanyahu in general. They, they really didn't depict Netanyahu. Um, instead, they focused on Israeli society as a whole, that they didn't use Netanyahu as the figurehead of the state. Instead, more focused on Netanyahu as just the guy and who worked alongside other politicians. He very often was illustrated alongside other politicians. And so if there was a critique to be made by associating him with other people, it downgrades or downplays the criticism. Whereas in more of the center and left-wing newspapers, he is often illustrated alone so that it's clear that the critique is of Netanyahu himself.
1: Absolutely. Of um, an institution.
2: <laughs> exactly. Um, and so that was really interesting to see. How did um, Shlomo Cohen of Israel Hayom um, and Moshe Galst of Israel Hayom go about caricaturing Netanyahu, Um, he also tended to be drawn far more proportionately in terms of his body shape and size. And there were definitely no elongated noses to be found in Israel Hayom.
1: Right, right. How important is caricature in political cartooning?
2: I I think it's crucial, Um, much in the same way that... um, these symbols like Cerulek, caricature is the way that the political cartoonist offers their commentary on the news, that um, political cartoons are not news reports. Um, They are far more similar to an editorial than they are to a, a news report, that even if we're going to certainly acknowledge that no news report is unbiased every news report has bias the editorial is a clearly biased piece of work um, and the political cartoon operates the same way it is intentionally offering a biased statement and the way that the artist offers that is through caricature. It is one of the tools available that unlike the editorialist, the political cartoonist again, um, and I know I've said this before, but we are dealing with limited space. This is a single panel illustration with the exception of Asaf Hanukkah. um, And caricature is the way that they go about doing that through facial expression, through exaggeration, through color, all of these have to be read as intentional choices made by the artist. um, And caricature is one of them. Mm.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. (coughs) Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system.
1: We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become?
2: Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2.
1: Play it now with Game Pass. Right. Um. Now, the cover of your book features a very powerful cartoon by Root Bots. cartoonist with a Hebrew-language daily, Mako Rishon. It's going to feature on the blog post that's going to accompany this podcast so in due course the listeners will be able to see the image for themselves Um, without me saying much more I wondered if you'd be able to give some sort of contextual depth some sort of contextual um, explanation to this image and perhaps say something about what it tells us about contemporary Israel
2: so Before I answer that question, I'm gonna give a little bit more context on Reut Bortz. Um, Reut Bortz is a religious Zionist cartoonist. Um, She lives in the West Bank. Reut Bortz works, as you said, for Makor Rishon, which is a religious national newspaper, but she also has worked and contributed to other venues like Paradox um, and Liberal, which are far, more, um, critical of the government, Ra'ut Bortz is really interesting in her willingness to critique her own community. And one of the other pieces, and then I'll describe the image, that Ra'ut often posts her work on Instagram and accompanying her cartoons is lengthy commentary, almost... An editorial that accompanies the cartoon where she shares her feelings about the news event that has inspired the cartoon and it was my choice to have Raout's cartoon on the cover of the book. Raout was very supportive and happy to make the image available Um, but this was something that I really wanted and I wanted a cartoon on the cover. I wanted a cartoon that could be displayed in a bookstore, on a bookshelf. I wanted something that people wouldn't look at and say that image makes me uncomfortable as many of the cartoons in the book do. Um, And I wanted something that I found on my own to be beautiful. And the image that is on the cover is a teenager sitting at a table with his family The family of four, Um, the father is standing and he is ladling out, I believe, pasta for the family. The mom is sitting at the table. They are clearly identified through visual signifiers as a religious Dati, religious nationalist family. Um, For North American audiences, this would be something like modern orthodoxy. Um, the mom has her hair covered, um, the father has the kippah on, as does the boy, um, they are wearing tzitzit or ritual fringes. Um, what makes the image unique is that it is illustrated in black and white, save for emerging, oozing out of the boy, rainbow-colored goo liquid liquid um, that is pouring out of his clothes and his pants, and seated under the table playing in the puddle is the boy's younger sister. And the motivation for Bortz behind this image were a series of anti-LGBTQ comments made by rabbis from her own community who spoke about a desire to um, push young gay men and women into conversion therapy, to deny them access to their sexual identities, to refuse to create space within their community for openly LGBT gay community members and Bortz's editorial that accompanied this was a strongly worded statement in which she called out the rabbi by name who she felt was not just being offensive but was actually being anti-Jewish was being harmful to the community and its members in which she called out and said that she hopes that one day, if her own children come out as gay, they have the confidence to do so, and that they don't find themselves in schools with rabbis like them, and that, he is, that her children would be willing to come and speak to her a member of this religious community, but one who believes that there can be space. And I felt that this image was an incredibly powerful image um, about how is Bort envisioning, and within the chapter, I pair the, the image alongside other cartoons that critiqued um, these these rabbis. However, what made Bortz unique is that she was the only one within the religious community to do so. That none of the other religious cartoonists, even if they might have personally opposed it, actually cartooned about it. And part of what makes Bortz unique is her real willingness to to call out her own community for what she sees as anti-Jewish, anti-Israeli, offensive and morally incorrect, immoral behavior.
1: Indeed, it's, it's, it's about challenging the rhetoric of the moment and I think that's what I found quite interesting because um, certainly from the second and other communities in Israel the presumption is that um, the religious dietary community is homogenous and speaks with one voice and with one set of intentions and this certainly complicates that presumption. And that in itself is a very, very useful and helpful way of thinking about the nuances and complexities that do constitute Israeli society today. Um, staying on the topic of religious life, um, you dedicate a whole chapter to cartoons and cartooning by um, Haredi artists in the Haredi Press. Now, I think it's fair to say that you had something of a methodological challenge in putting this chapter together, specifically because many of the Haredi newspapers do not have an online presence, and given that you're based in Canada, um, access is is incumbent on the internet, I suppose. Um, Maybe this says something about the position of the community uh, within the broader scope, the broader social sphere of Israel today. Um, How do the cartoonists that you did engage with Um, tend to portray the community vis-a-vis the more dominant communities. And I think it's also important to say this point that um, you don't just carry out an analysis, but you actually interviewed your subjects as well, which actually uh, afforded you quite an intimate perspective of their thinking, of their working process, and about the communities of the for.
2: Yeah, so on that last point that you just raised, I I certainly would not say that I am an ethnographer. I would not categorize the book as an ethnography. However, one of the pieces of the book that I really did want to create was an understanding of how does this community work in general, that even if they're producing different types of cartoons and in different venues, um, by approaching it topic by topic, we were, I was able to look at how did cartoonists across different political and religious and gender and sexual spectrums go about thinking about this issue. And so there is an element of community ethnography that that does come into play. But I was exceptionally unprepared for um, discoveries about Haredi cartooning. Um, As you said, the Haredi community by nature is a closed community to outsiders. I do not in any way fit into a Haredi community, um, religiously, culturally, socially. Um, And as I started researching, one of the, the real ways that I started getting in touch with cartoonists and adding to my running list was that whenever I would interview someone, they would, first of all, tremendous excitement from the cartoonists to have someone interested in their work. Um, they were, there was really such positive vibes. Um, they would often ask to see, who else are you talking to? And I mentioned that I really didn't know anything about Haredi cartooning. Um, and someone mentioned to me that, oh, you should talk to this person and it'll give you some insights. And I learned then that the Haredi cartoonists and the Haredi community have WhatsApp groups where the cartoonists share their work and they are closed groups. They are, um, you need to request permission to join. They are also um, only admin can post. So no one responds to each other's work, but hundreds of posts are made over the course of a month by different cartoonists identifying who the artist is, what the publication venue is, and where they share their work. And so that they are able to see each other's work. One of the other things I learned is that the Haredi cartoonists, many of them are looking at what non-Haredi cartoonists are doing. Um, Whether it is um, following on social media, whether it is reading in newspapers, Um, There are a number of Haredi political cartoonists who do know what's going on. One of the other pieces to sort of be aware of, Haredi, much like Benjamin Netanyahu, in general are depicted negatively in political cartoons. Um, What the Haredi political cartoons, though, produced by members of the community afforded me was to see a very different way of viewing the community. And Haredi community members are almost always presented in a positive light that the value of Torah study, the value of having Haredi political parties and concerns about not serving in the military, concerns about maintaining ultra-Orthodox Haredi education are of great importance within Haredi political cartoons. I was really afforded a totally different perspective. And I feel in hindsight that the volume would have been incomplete without the Haredi cartoons. Um, I acknowledge in the the introduction that there are two other communities that um, did not gain that I did not gain access to. Um, There are no cartoons written in Russian. Israel has a very large Russian community Um, with its newspapers continuing to publish in Russian. um, I just did not have, I don't speak Russian or read Russian. Um, And similarly, I don't speak or read Arabic. And part of political cartooning is a requirement to understand the signs, symbols and language. Um, and so while I don't belong to the Haredi community, I am steeped enough in traditional Judaism that I felt that I was able to understand and that if there was a cartoon that I wasn't sure about, I had people that I could turn to. Um, I couldn't begin to parse a cartoon published in Arabic because I don't have the language, I don't have the cultural capital um, I don't understand the signs and symbols, and therefore it wouldn't... Sorry, I'm in a school. Um, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't have done... It would have been a disservice to that community and I feel to the book as a whole to be writing about cartoons that I don't really understand.
1: Quite, quite. But um, you did have quite privileged access to the Haredi community and you're able to share that with us to our benefit. Um, just a reminder that I'm talking to Matt Ringold about his new book, Reenvisioning Israel Through Political Cartoons, Visual Discourses During the 2018 to 2021 Electoral Crisis, which is published by Lexington Books. Um, now, the dominant event across the world and we've talked about this a little already Um, for much of the period that you focus on in your book was the coronavirus pandemic now Seguin slightly. Um, for many is Jewish Israel, and quite possibly for some non Jews living in Israel as well. The Bible, the Tanakh, is a common cultural language which is manifested in, amongst other ways, in the celebration of the Hagim, the holy days, Passover, Hanukkah, Rosh Hashanah. 2020 and 2021 were largely overtaken by the coronavirus pandemic. Um, of the very many restrictions at the preventative measures necessitated, nothing struck home more than the restrictions on social gatherings during the period starting with Passover 2020 and the subsequent religious holidays. Um, you call this chapter um, Biblical exegesis specifically relating to how political cartoonists used the Bible and used messages of the Bible as a starting point for commentary about the state of a nation. Um, could you tell us something about this fascinating intersection of faith, cultural norms, and visual commentary?
2: Yeah. So I, as I started coding and looking at different cartoons about COVID, I um, a few things became clear. One was um, much like political cartoons everywhere in the world, there was tremendous criticism of government. Um, even in a country that gained a lot of good press about how it handled the pandemic, um, there was still um, almost regularly cartoons criticizing the way that Israel's leaders handled the pandemic. Um, and so much like the coronavirus molecule that became ubiquitous as a visual sign for COVID, um, so too was having cartoons that were critical of government. That's just sort of how the political cartoons worked everywhere in the world during this time. And I felt that I didn't have much to say because the cartoons were so so obvious in many ways, that they were creative, they were fun, um, and I did do some writing about some of the COVID cartoons, but to write an entire chapter about the pandemic and the way that people were critical of government, um, it, it didn't seem, I, it, I didn't feel that I had much to write about, and instead, much like every other chapter in the book, I wanted to focus on the uniquely Israeli experience, and the ways, as you mentioned, that Israel was forced to grapple and think about things in new ways was what do holidays look like that we have a country where um, over the eight days of Passover, um, the country in many ways shut down that um, the holiday cycle revolves around Jewish holidays, government schedules recesses during Jewish holidays. that the country is really guided by the Jewish calendar in many ways. And the reality that the holidays are celebrated very publicly. Holidays in Israel are public celebrations that recent data has it that like over 90% of the country's Jews, regardless of whether they are um, observant of traditional Judaism or say that they are secular are celebrating Hanukkah and Passover, and that these are public things. And what I became very interested in seeing was how cartoonists began exploring, what does it mean to celebrate holidays when you can't do that anymore? and seeing the ways that they showed not only what new practices were, and so we saw cartoons showing Zoom Passover seders and cartoons showing um, socially distanced dancing with the Torah on Simchat Torah, but we also saw rereadings of biblical and rabbinic texts of where the cartoonists operating much like biblical or textual commentators used the traditional texts in their cartoons to offer new ways of thinking about the holiday. And one of the examples that I always am reminded of is that on the Passover holiday, um, there's a song called Ma Nishtana, why is this night different from all other nights? And in a normal year, the answers revolve around that we eat matzah this dried cracker as opposed to leavened bread or that we dip vegetables in liquid um, or that we eat bitter herbs when we don't do that normally and instead we had cartoonists making use of that text to offer insight into the way that they are experiencing passover differently in these years during the pandemic of having to celebrate by themselves alone of having to do zoom seder um and we had some commentators suggesting that this is a positive why is this night different here oh this is exciting we're trying something different well we had others like guy morad at um one of Israel's um, daily newspapers, Yediot Akronot, um, who often, in my opinion, produces some of the most emotionally resonant cartoons, um, illustrating um, an, old, an older gentleman having a Seder by himself, um, that traditionally the song is also um, sung by the youngest person at the table, but what does it mean when the only person at the table is an old man. Um, and so we have new new, and contemporary readings of these traditional texts based on the current situation. And the idea of doing that is not new. Um, throughout Jewish history, commentators have used current situations to um, interpret biblical texts the visual offers is of course that we are in the current climate of coronavirus and that again the the punchiness of the political cartoon the densely packed meaning um the, of looking at Morad's image or of looking at the Haredi illustrator um Oriel Pellet who used a different text but a similar meaning of This year we are slaves. Next year will we be free Um, by illustrating an empty street, an empty playground of his normally bustling Haredi neighborhood, that these are powerful images that don't require someone to explain, oh, I'm so sad that I don't have my family at the table, that we're conveying this non-verbally and it speaks to this emotional language of what images can offer.
1: Absolutely. Um, we've been talking with Mattering Gold about his new book Reenvisioning Israel Through Political Cartoons Visual Discourses During the 2018 to 2021 Electoral Crisis which is published by Lexington Books. Um, We've taken up a lot of your time, and I'd like to thank you for your generosity in this regard. Um, Before you do go, I wondered if you could tell us perhaps something about what you're working on at the moment.
2: So, yeah, I'm currently working on three projects, all at various stages of being ready for publication. Um, This coming winter, um, I was, I wrote a, I wouldn't say an introductory text, I would say it's more of an overview or a mapping of the fields of Jewish graphic narratives, Jewish graphic novels in general. Um, And that will be coming out from um, uh, Bloomsbury in the fall. Um, And that's sort of this overview. Um, My other hat that I wear is I I do research in education and I have a co-edited volume coming out from Brandeis University Press sometime in 2023 about different ways of teaching Israel. A lot of the focus in Israel education has been on the learner and Sivan Zakai of Hebrew Union College in LA and I um, decided to see if there was interest in writing about how do pe- how do the teachers in the room go about teaching Israel? Um, and so, still interested in Israel education, but a real shift in the focus to um, the the educator. And then the third, and both of those are at various stages of production. Um, and I'm currently writing a manuscript about Asaf Sanaka. Asaf Sanaka is someone who um, I've done a lot of my writing about his work. He is. I would say the Israeli cartoonist that I most focus on um, and I'm writing a work about what are the um, primary themes and interests that have shaped his his work over the last decade or so uh, that is not yet under contract. I have been in touch with a few different presses um, and I'm navigating figuring out where I want the manuscript to end up.
1: Well that's quite a lot to look forward to and i'm certainly very interested in seeing these in due course and i think on behalf of myself and the israel studies channel um, i think we'll be delighted to have you back at some point in time in the future to talk about one or more of these works um once again this is of the Israel Studies channel of the New Books Network. I've been chatting with Matt Rangold about his fascinating book, Reimagining Israel Through Political Cartoons, Visual Discourses During the 2018 to 2021 Electoral Crisis. And on behalf of the channel myself, I'd like to say a very big thank you to Matt for his time and for producing what is a truly fascinating and revelatory book. Matt, thank you very much.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Absolute pleasure